Last week, Jesus got himself run out of town. Over the past two Sundays, we read the story of his first foray into public ministry in the Gospel of Luke. He stood up in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth and surrounded by all the aunties and uncles and friends and neighbors who had known him his whole life, he read from the prophet Isaiah, those beautiful words about bringing good news to the poor and release to the captives. This guy's all right, everyone said. That's a lovely passage of scripture to read. Haven't heard that one in a while. Good choice, Jesus. They were all pleased, Luke tells us, until Jesus got to the meat of his first sermon. The poor and the captives, the blind and the oppressed, the ones God is concerned about and the ones God means for us to be concerned about, aren't just here in our little village or here among people who speak our language or practice our religion. They are everywhere, he said, even and especially among people very different from us. This message was less popular. As Christine reminded us last week, Jesus didn't end up with a warm welcome in his hometown. He narrowly escaped being tossed from a cliff. So his preaching career didn't start out so well, but things picked up quickly. In Capernaum, he rebuked a demon holding a man captive, and he healed the sick. In synagogues throughout Judea, he preached about the kingdom of God to enthralled hearers. The welcome in all those places was different. Here, people were eager to listen. Here, they were hungry for the good news Jesus brought, and word began to spread. And then one morning, when our reading begins today, Jesus finds himself facing yet another crowd pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He's at the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and, well, he could probably find a rock or something else to stand on to address this crowd. He happens to notice some boats nearby. And the idea of a floating pulpit sounds kind of cool. So he climbs into a boat that's sitting there by the shore and asks its owner, a guy named Simon, to row him out into the lake a bit. Simon, along with a few others, is washing nets here. Now, I'm not a fisherman, but I'm guessing you don't usually do that before you go out fishing. You probably wash up after you are all done, sort of a last task before clocking out for the day. Simon is finished with his work for the moment. That should be clear to anybody looking. And he's probably looking forward to going home and getting something to eat and going to bed. So I could imagine a less than charitable response to this bright-eyed teacher who thinks it would be fun to have a little ride out in the water and give his lecture from there. Sorry, pal. I am on my way home. Find your own pulpit. But Simon doesn't say that. He climbs back in the boat with his half-washed nets, and he takes this strange visitor out on the lake so he can have a floating platform for some teaching. I sort of imagine Simon closing his eyes in the back of the boat during this time, dreaming of some warm clothes and of his plate of eggs and toast back home. <laughs> Finally, class is over and Simon rouses himself to row back to shore, but Jesus has one more request. Now put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Okay, here's where things get sticky because this is a different kind of request. Before, Jesus was sort of asking for a favor, but now he's actually encroaching on Simon's territory. 
I mean, who's the fisherman here? Who spends countless hours out on the water? Who knows the lake and all the places where fish are likely to be found? It is not the landlubber from Nazareth, the guy who spends his days wandering the roads and talking, for crying out loud. Jesus is asking him to turn the boat around, to row not back to shore and home, but out into the deeper water, and to lower the nets. I have to imagine Simon being a little bit irked at this brazen request, and he is also clearly tired. Master, we have worked all night long and have caught nothing, he says. All night, hours we have spent out there, in all the places where the fish might be found. We have been at this work for a long time, and I can tell you there's nothing there, especially now at this time of day, with the sun high up in the sky. I want to pause here in the story and linger for a moment. Because I have a hunch that at least a few of us know something right now about the sort of exhaustion that is there in Simon's voice. We have been at this pandemic thing for so long, adapting and readapting and grieving and waiting. We have been at this justice work for so long, speaking up and advocating and seeking positive change. We have been at this faith work for so long, praying and hoping and envisioning a world made whole. We have been rowing out and casting the nets and hauling them back in, and still there are so many stresses, so many challenges, so many unknowns. Sometimes it feels like we have caught so little for all our labor. Sometimes exhaustion runs deep all the way to the bone. I think it's not too hard right now to relate to some of that weariness in Simon's voice when Jesus asks him to put out in the deep water and let down the nets yet again. And it's not too hard to imagine a response that would be born out of that weariness. We've caught nothing and nothing is what we're going to catch. So no way, Jesus. I was happy to row you out for your talk, but now I'm through. I'm going to close up shop for the day, go home and binge on Netflix, buckle up, we are headed back to shore. Simon could have said that, but he didn't. And instead here he said something amazing. Master, we've worked all night long and have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. I'm tired. I'm discouraged. I'm ready to throw in the towel for the day. Yet if you say so, I won't. If you say so, I will lower the nets one more time. Obedience is one of those words we probably don't like the sound of very much. At best, it sounds like a lack of independence, a constraint on doing whatever we please. And at worst, it brings up images of blind dependence or abuses of power, any number of cases where those in positions of authority have demanded absolute unthinking obedience from those in their care. When to obey and when to disobey is, of course, a complicated question when it comes to human leaders, political or religious or familial. But when it comes to Jesus, there's no getting around it. 
Obedience is part of what's asked of his followers. The Gospels don't give us a Jesus who sort of wakes up every morning and says to his disciples, so, what do you all feel like doing today? No, he very deliberately doesn't leave them to just do the same old things they've always done, to follow their every whim and wish. He calls them to something different, forgiving enemies, welcoming strangers, tending to those normally overlooked, giving generously, loving with abandon, risking for the sake of the kingdom. Jesus invites his disciples to follow, and in doing that, he asks them to obey. In our reading today, that's what he asks of Simon here, whose name will, of course, shortly become Peter. He asks Simon to listen not to the exhaustion and discouragement that are hanging over him like a cloud, but to him, to obey, even when it doesn't look like the logical thing to do. And amazingly, that is just what Simon does. Obedience to Jesus is always an important topic for us as Christians. And it feels to me like an especially poignant one right now, given how exhausted many of us are. Given all the stress and uncertainty of these past years, what is there to keep us going? To keep us loving and giving and showing up for one another and for our neighbors? Well, there's Jesus. There's Jesus who keeps calling us to follow even in our weariness. There's Jesus who keeps calling us to walk in his ways. There's Jesus who keeps calling us to obey. Okay, I know that might sound a little simplistic, like I'm just telling you all to shape up and do what Jesus says already. I know it's not that simple for any of us, certainly not for me. But I want to remind you this morning of a gift that helps us to hear that call to obey and that makes it even a joy. It's the gift of community. In thinking about obedience this week, I revisited a book by Joan Chittister, a Benedictine sister. Obedience is, of course, a core value of those who undertake monastic vows, and she has wonderful things to say about it, about obedience as a form of humility, about recognizing that we are not isolated individuals but are part of a web, about our need for the wisdom and guidance of trusted others in our lives. And mostly she writes about community. It is the community that forms community values and virtues in me, she writes. It is the community that provides the arena for mutual support. It is from the community that I get an example of life lived well. It is in the community that teaching becomes real. It is in the community that authority is meant to become a gift rather than an instrument of oppression. It is only in the community that I really learn to listen to the voice of God in one another and to see the face of God in the other as well as in my own. It is only in community that I can learn to obey the command to serve one another. Isn't that beautiful? Simon had Jesus standing there in the boat with him, telling him to let down the nets for another catch. And we have community. The community that reminds us of what matters. The community that asks us to keep showing up. The community 
that calls us to offer our gifts, the community that stretches us and enlarges our picture of who God is, the community that summons us to obey Jesus, even when it's hard, the community that Paul reminds us is the body of Christ. I know it's still an uncertain time. We're tired of Zoom, and we're not all totally sure about in-person gatherings just yet, and we have been largely apart for so long. But community is a gift, and friends, we need each other. This is one of the primary ways we hear Jesus' call and find the grace in it. It is what we are made for. You're probably going to get sick of hearing me talk about community over the months ahead, but it's where my mind and my heart are right now. Following Jesus is not something that's meant to be done alone. Right after calling Simon, right afterward, Jesus calls another disciple and another, forming a community who will learn to walk in his ways together. That's how it works. In this weary time, when it can feel like we have been casting the nets all night long with little to show for it, Jesus tells us to keep at it, to keep loving, to keep welcoming, to keep serving, to keep showing up, to keep obeying him. And it is awfully hard to do that all alone. It is a calling that is meant to be worked out together in community. Here, together, we find that calling to be what it is. Grace, a gift, even joy. Thanks be to God. Amen.